What's up, everybody? This is Brendan Schaefer joining you for another edition of B-Shape Daily. Welcome into the show as we break down another day in Cardinals baseball. If you've seen me, if you listened to the podcast yesterday, saw me on Twitter today on Thursday, you know that I did not take myself into attendance of the Cardinals game on Thursday. They played in Northport, Florida at the Atlanta Braves complex their new stadium on the gulf side of the state cardinals took the loss against the braves three to one on thursday february 27th is the date not a a banner performance for the cardinals offense they got their only run of the game in the first inning of course another good day for dylan carlson the guy who just keeps performing for the cardinals he scored the only run of the day for st louis Went one for one, had the run scored, had two walks as well in the game. Uh, Dylan Carlson is the story that just won't go away for the St. Louis Cardinals and Cardinals fans. It's going to be interesting to see whether or not he ends up getting a spot on the opening day roster. I find that because we ended up, you know, we don't have a lot to talk about from the game itself because I actually didn't see it in attendance. I wasn't there. Um, But I feel like Dylan Carlson is probably the biggest storyline right of this Cardinals spring training session the spring training season where the question that that persists around the St. Louis Cardinals is Dylan Carlson going to get a spot on that opening day roster or not it's honestly probably not as big of a conversation as we're going to make it out to be because even if the answer is no to that question he's gonna be there it's gonna happen whether it's two weeks later, whether it's six weeks later, whatever the case might be, at some point in the first half of this 2020 season, Dylan Carlson is going to be in St. Louis, provided he stays healthy and isn't injured you know, on the IL for whatever reason. He's going to be there. If it takes an injury to somebody else in that outfield mix, if it takes some underperformance by people that you were hoping out of the gate would do a little better and then they don't, they don't quite get it done and then they need somebody like Carlson to come in, Whatever the reason ends up being, Carlson's going to be there. But each and every day that passes, he continues to make the case for himself to be there from the get-go. Today, you look at the box score. I mean, it's pretty simple. Uh, Tommy Edmond, over three. Brad Miller, over three. Justin Williams, over two. Matt Wieters, one for three. Got a hit. Jairo Munoz had a nice day, two for three. Drove in Carlson on the lone run of the day for the Cardinals. Nolan Gorman gets in there again, one for two. Gets another base hit. Had a great day yesterday on Wednesday. I believe he went three for five. Max Schrock, over four. Lane Thomas, one for three. One of the outfielders with whom Dylan Carlson is going to continue to compete for a roster spot. I think you can make the case that if it's not Dylan Carlson, it's going to be Lane Thomas. And, you know, it could end up being a one or the other scenario. Provided everybody else stays healthy, I don't think you can keep Tyler O'Neill out. And so you look at reserve outfielders, what that could look like. Edmund's going to be in that mixture. He's going to be on the roster. Is it going to be, you know, it doesn't matter what his position officially is. He's an outfielder. He's an infielder. He's there, right? He's part of that mix. He's going to get playing time. And so if you're really looking at roster spots, like what's up for grabs, you can make the case that Lane Thomas's spot is up for grabs, although his OPS this spring is 820. Had, had a little bit of a, a hiccup or two in the field defensively in center field but offensively he's been 
you know, he's kind of picked up where he left off a year ago, had that broken uh, broken hand, I believe it was, got hit by a pitch, and so he missed kind of the end of the 2019 season with just had really good numbers in St. Louis, didn't get as much of an opportunity, I think, as a lot of people would have liked to have seen him get, and so he's kind of picking up where he left off last year, so far this spring, looking solid offensively. Andrew Kisner over three, John Nagowski over three. Cardinals collect a total of six hits. But you look at Dylan Carlson, responsible responsible for a hit and two walks. His OPS for the spring so far is 1,300, 1,300 with an average of 455. The guy continues to do it all in all facets of the game. He's getting on base. He's getting hits. He's doing it defensively. And so part of the show today, certainly, I, I want to talk about Dylan Carlson. Going to get to the Marcelo Zuna stuff in a little bit. Derek Gould did make his way across the state of Florida to, to the Cardinals-Braves contest today. And I believe he talked to Marcelo Zuna for a story today. Um, and so that's a you know good scoop, good bit of insight that you know I, I was not there for. So uh, give credit to DG on that one. But uh, interesting conversation about Marcelo Zuna with regard to the degree to which the Cardinals did or kind of evidently did not pursue him at all in free agency and how he ended up with the Atlanta Braves on a one-year contract. But Dylan Carlson is is kind of the man of the hour this spring for the Cardinals. And I asked a question earlier this afternoon on Thursday on Twitter, a couple of questions. One was kind of a hypothetical. You know, nobody's going to really know the answer to, but I wanted to get opinions on the, on the subject of... Off the wall, I said, but maybe not that off the wall of an idea. Should the Cardinals do what the Chicago White Sox did with Luis Robert Robert? I still don't know how to say his name. I've heard conflicting reports. But should should the Cardinals do what Chicago did with him and just try to sign Dylan Carlson now? Basically, that contract that Luis Robert agreed to before ever playing a game in the major leagues. Looking at a tweet, this was back in January, and so I'm trusting Bob Nightingale's tweet here regarding the breakdown financially for Luis Robert Robert. <laughs> and I just went ahead and listened to a video of uh, Chicago White Sox reporters asking Luis how to say his name, and I, the the best kind of comparison I can do is say Robert, Robert. So the T does get pronounced. It's not Robert. It's not. It doesn't sound French. Uh, I think it's like Robert is is the best. Luis Robert is the best way I can can kind of uh, replicate the, the the pronunciation that he uh, seems to prefer. The T is regardless of the way it is. The T is pronounced. And people today told me Robert as I talked about him. I said I don't think that's right, and it's not. It's he he said the T definitely does get pronounced. So anyway, long segue on that. But the contract breakdown for Luis Robert is as follows according to Bob Nightingale from January. In twenty twenty, a million five, twenty twenty one, three and a half, twenty twenty two, six mil, twenty three, nine and a half mil, twenty twenty four, twelve and a half mil, and then in twenty twenty five, fifteen million. And so that's six years that that contract runs, which I guess that breakdown would be about fifty million dollars. And then in twenty six and twenty seven, club option for $20 million both of those seasons. So a chance to get it close to pushing like $90 mil, $2 million buyout each of those years if uh, the White Sox don't want to get in there. So basically that's six years, buys out 
all three of your pre-arb seasons, all three of your arbitration eligible seasons, does not buy out any of your free agent years except for the club option. It would do so for two of those free agent seasons at $20 million per. And so if he's the stud that a lot of people believe he can be, that's a that's a pretty favorable contract for the team. Uh, you know, you consider he he's making six mil in 2022. That's not a number he would have even come close to sniff if uh, they were just going to play it regular. Like the White Sox would be totally within their right if they didn't sign him to this deal to pay Luis Robert like less than a million in 2022. Like they'd be under no obligation to pay him anything above the major league minimum in that season. And so to get $6 million in that year is pretty substantial compared to what he would get. But then you talk about 2023, if he's a stud like we think he can be, Arb eligible, 9.5. I think that's about what Bellinger is getting or got for his first year of Arb eligibility. But then 12.5, 15, like you think about guys like Arenado and guys like Mookie Betts that are pushing like mid-20 million range, like 25, 26 per their final year of Arb eligibility or what Arenado would have gotten what uh, Mookie Betts is getting this year. Certainly on the half on the on the back half, Luis Robert is taking less money, but he's getting that financial security, right? And so the question I said was, would Dylan Carlson be somebody the Cardinals should before he ever plays a game? Should they try to sign him long term? It's not a strategy I, I can recall the Cardinals ever using. They've done the pre the pre arb contract extensions on a fairly regular basis. You can think of back to Alan Craig, uh, Colton Wong. We've seen it with Paul DeYoung. We've seen it with a lot of their players in, in recent years. Some of them have worked out, some better than others. Other contracts you could say, eh, maybe not. Like the Alan Craig deal, they, they had to kind of trade away before it got ugly. But even still, the total financial outlay on a deal like that is not very significant. And now you're talking about a guy who's not played a major league game. And so you'd think for those pre-ARB seasons, you, you, you know, you're baking in that they're not going to make a whole heck of a lot of money for those. And then you're going to have to pay up a little bit more in the ARB years. And then if you'd like to buy out a, a year of free agency or two, that would certainly come at a cost. But if you look at the Luis Robert contract, that deal did not necessarily buy out any free agent years except for the club options. And... You know, the total outlay, around $50 million guaranteed. For that to be a deal the Cardinals would do for Dylan Carlson, like, I just brought it up as something that I thought would make sense. You know, I I said, likely no chance that it actually happens. It's not really the Cardinals' M.O., and there's really no reason to think that Carlson would do it either. Uh, But I said it's a thought that I had while I was chilling on the beach. Um, because look, we think Carlson is legit. Everything he's shown so far in spring would indicate as much. Everything he showed last year in Springfield and Memphis would indicate as much. And these contracts, compared to the kind of contracts that you give a guy in free agency, like even the Dexter Fowler deal, which was like a mid-level contract, $80 million or so, over five years, that's more overwhelming than what you'd have to give Carlson or what the White Sox gave Luis Robert. And by all indications, both could end up having a prime uh, superior to what Dexter Fowler is giving the Cardinals or has given the Cardinals. 
it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now, I understand that the way MLB contracts works, the first three years, you don't have to pay anybody anything. And so if you're if you're giving them money on top of of the pennies, essentially, relative to what MLB contracts are in free agency or, or in extension land, if you're giving them any guaranteed money at that point in time, it's it's something you don't have to do. It's bonus. And then the ARB years, you know, you're, you're kind of making a bet against what you think those guys are going to be able to command at that point in time if you're giving them a contract early. And it all adds up to whatever it does. But, like, even for Robert, a guy who, you know, looking back, the Cardinals absolutely should have signed, and we said so at the time, that whatever, you know, minuscule a few million dollars or whatever it was that they were outbid by uh, the White Sox for his services clearly would have been a worthwhile investment. He's now like the number one prospect in baseball, save for maybe Gavin Lux with the Dodgers, and could very well end up being the AL Rookie of the Year this season because Chicago signed him, giving them no incentive to game his service time. He's going to be with the team opening day, provided he's healthy. And so looking back, it's like, yeah, the Cardinals should have signed him because what fraction of of that contract would have been the amount that they've paid for you name it, Dexter Fowler, the Matt Carpenter extension, Greg Holland. Like, that's the reference I made today on Twitter. Like, how many Greg Hollands would it take, which was like one year, $14 million, how many of those deals would it take to go ahead and ink Dylan Carlson and guarantee that you have him for, you know, not only cost controlled through his pre-free agency seasons, which is six years, but in addition to that, maybe you get some cost control with the with a club club option or two on his first couple of seasons that would otherwise be free agency. That's what Luis Robert has with his new contract signed a couple of months ago, not even a couple of months ago. And so that was kind of the first question that I asked with regards to Carlson today. Like, hey, would that make sense? I think it would. I think it's not a deal the Cardinals have ever made, and so to think they would break precedent under any circumstance would probably be unlikely. And then you can consider the fact that Carlson, especially with the changes potentially coming to the collective bargaining agreement that expires here coming up, I don't see any incentive for Carlson to cash in early and and kind of bank on, you know, just getting his security. Because I think more likely than not, there may be a strike in between, but I think players are going to benefit from whatever the new CBA brings about because they're going to say, look, the, the, we're not getting the right side of the deal. You've got to either give us something on the front end of these, you know, six years of control where you maybe only get two years of pre-arb and then four years of arb before free agency, or we gotta we gotta kill this six-year thing because for you guys to have six years of control over us, we don't think that's fair, especially considering you guys get control over us in the minors before we make our way to the bigs for two, three, four years in some cases. You're talking about a decade of our lives that you're getting control. We don't get to pick who we play for. We don't have an opportunity to fight for our salary. 
that's not the way it goes in other sports. And if, if MLB wants to keep pace, if baseball wants to keep pace with basketball, with football, with, you know, I, I'm not going to bring hockey necessarily because I, I, I'm not as well versed in what their salary situation is. But certainly you talk about the sports you want to strive to be like because I think it's fair to say NBA, NFL are kind of leading the charge as far as, you know, if you're a young person, athletic, wanting to play a professional sport, having the ability you know, the gifts to do so, you know, you're not necessarily looking at at baseball for the way to cash in right away. Look at Kyler Murray. He chose, he was a first round pick of the Oakland Athletics, had a good signing bonus, chose the NFL, ended up being the number one overall pick, got a, a, a truckload of cash to, to do so, a signing bonus, and boom, right out of the gate, he's making money. He doesn't have to, to play in the minors where he's relying on his signing bonus for however many years and hoping he gets a chance to make the majors. Baseball is a little bit behind in that regard for the other sports. It's just, you know, it's the nature of the game. There's there's more players. There's more minor league opportunities. There's uh, Farm systems are deeper. NFL doesn't have a farm system. You know, the NBA has the, the G League, used to be called the D League. It's something that they could, you know, the d- developmental, they could, they could probably trump that up a little bit more if they're able to I think the, the the NBA should change kind of the way they do that and say, look, rather than tell players they can't be drafted until they're whatever age, until they're 19 or two years removed from high school or a year removed from high school, whatever the rule is, rather than do that, say, you can come whenever you want, but if you're under such and such of age, we're going to put you in the developmental league and then we're going to market the hell out of that thing and we're going to be able to like make more money off of it rather than send players off to say they have to play in college where they can't officially earn any cash and it's all happening under the table all the big programs are doing it you know rather than have that be the case we'll go ahead and tell you you're going to make 200 grand this year to to play in the G League you know whatever they they can feasibly do I don't know if if the guys going to Duke or or whatever are making you know Kansas certainly I don't know if they're making more or less than that amount but whatever the amount is that could incentivize those guys to play I think the NBA would be better served to to have the guys already in the developmental system and go that route you know kind of incentivize their product to be the thing we're investing in rather than sham college basketball guys who you know they're going to leave after a year like I love college basketball but I'm being honest like I I think it would be just fine for the NBA to say because that college basketball that does that it's not the NCAA that does that you know, they don't have any power to dictate that these guys are going to play for, for their organization. It's the NBA that says you got to be 19 or, you know, you got to be a year out of high school, one or the other, in order to, to play in our league and be drafted eligible for our league. And so kids say, all right, I guess I'm going to go to, to Duke or I'm going to go to Kansas. I'm going to go to UCLA. You know, I'm going to go wherever the, you know, the opportunity exists for me to play on a big stage. I'm sure that most of those guys are getting money money under the table, but you know, some of them have recently decided I'm going to go overseas. I'm going to play in Europe because I can I can make money. I can play professionally and earn a living. You never know when the the ACL is going to go or when an injury is going to happen, and I may not have the same opportunity. So, while I can, I'm going to play overseas. I totally understand guys doing that, but it's just an example of how baseball. You sign, you get that signing bonus if you're a you know a bonus baby, as they call it. But otherwise, you're you're grinding in the minor leagues, and it might be a few years, even if you're a top player, 
Like you're going to go through rookie ball, A ball, high A, double A, triple A in, in a lot of cases. It's going to be a little while before you get there. And so all of this is kind of my roundabout way of saying it's going to probably come to a head that the player's side and they're not representing minor leaguers. Don't don't get this twisted. Minor leaguers are not in the union, so it's not to their benefit. But they're saying, look, if I don't get up to the majors, in most cases, if I'm a I'm a prospect, I'm 23, 24 years old. Now I got to play for the same team for six years. They control my salary. Now I'm 29, 30, and suddenly teams are saying, yeah, you've had a good career, but we don't want to pay you because now you're kind of on the wrong side of 30 almost, and. You know, we don't we don't think you're really going to be able to replicate that production for the long haul. I don't, I, we just can't pay you this four or five year deal that you're asking for. Marcelo Zuna, perfect example. And so, if teams are kind of taking that mentality, I feel like when the CBA comes up, the players' side, if they're if they're if they're smart about it, they're going to say, "Look, you got to either give us some more on the front half, or you got to you got to cut the time down that you're going to be able to control our our futures." and give us free agency a little bit sooner. NBA's got a restricted free agency system. NFL's got a, you know, even the franchise tag, I think, more beneficial, and it happens a heck of a lot sooner than it does in the in baseball after six years and probably another two or three or four in the minors before you even get to that opportunity. So, I, again, it, it's, a long, it's a long way off, perhaps a long way off for Dylan Carlson for him to be able to kind of make that decision. And I think... I don't think it's it's out of turn or improper for me to discuss this element of it, where a guy like Luis Robert comes from Latin America, maybe you know doesn't have the opportunities without baseball that that some others in in America may have, and so he says, you know, gosh, for my family and for my security, maybe I'm a little bit more willing to take that early extension than than somebody else who's had different opportunities would be. I'm not. Speaking for Dylan Carlson, I don't know what his situation is. I haven't asked him. I haven't been able to, you know, say, "Hey, would you would you be willing to consider an extension before you even play a game?" It's not my place to to discuss that. But I'm just speaking in terms of. I think it's pretty common. We saw it happen with the Atlanta Braves and Ozzie Albie's, where a lot of people looked at his extension that he signed and said, "Man, I think Albie's would have been worth a lot more than he got." Like when I pull up. Ozzy Albee's extension, like you just Google it and you're looking for information. A headline, the first one that pops up, Ozzy Albee's new deal could be the worst an MLB player has ever signed. This was April 11th, 2019, not quite a year ago. And at the time, he was 22 years old, had a really good prior season, and the contract, seven years, $35 million guaranteed, which that means it's buying out at least one free agent year. But then on top of that, two team options for seven million each, yeah, four million dollar buyout, but that's nothing. That's I mean, you know, to to be able to think at the end of that contract, he's only going to make seven million on an option year on a on a team option year is insane. Like Ozzy Albie's in his late twenties, assuming he continues on his same career trajectory, that's a fifteen to twenty million dollar a year player, easy. The kind of talent that he has. But a guy from the island of Curacao, you know, again, I, I don't know the, the ins and outs of what these guys' financial situations are, but it certainly seemed like, and again, I, the player has his agency to make his own decisions. And so I don't want to rip a team for taking advantage and signing a guy to a contract that's beneficial to the team that also 
makes somebody a multimillionaire for the first time in their lives. I don't want to minimize that, but I also think it's fair to discuss both sides of things and to say, like, if you're Ozzy Albies, man, you probably, you know, you wait a little bit, a couple more years, keep playing your game. You might be signing a $100 million contract instead of locking yourselves into $35, $45 million over the course of the, you know, nearly a decade. And so this was common, the way people talked about the Albies contract last year. And again, I don't know Dylan Carlson's situation. I'd have to imagine, though, that maybe not something he feels compelled to do to say, you know, I have to have to get the security before I even play a game. Maybe I'm more comfortable to say, let's let's wait it out. You know, we've talked about Jack Flaherty being a guy, and, and again, different situation because he had a near Cy Young season last year, finished in the top five in the NL Cy Young voting. And people are saying, the Cardinals have got to sign this guy, got to get this guy to an extension. You know, they did it with DeYoung. They did it with, you know, Colt Wong. They did it with all these other players. Why not Jack Flaherty? He's the best guy they've had. Well, it's true, but it takes two to tango. And if I'm Jack Flaherty, I'm saying, what happens if I have another Cy Young-like season this year? in my final year before arbitration. I might set an arbitration record for a pitcher, and I might just do that year to year until I sign a massive Garrett Cole kind of contract, you know, three, four years down the road, whatever it ends up being. I think this year would be year number three, and then you'll have three years of ARB after 2020, I think, if I'm correct. And if I'm Jack Flaherty, I have no reason not to take that approach other than to say, you know, pitchers get hurt, and so I'm I'm a little bit concerned, etc., I don't know if the, if if Jack Flaherty is the kind of person to play scared, nor should he be. I get that things happen, but this dude is as talented and as confident and as intelligent about this process as you're going to find in a major league player. And so I totally understand if he's like, you know what, we're going to ride this out. And so that's kind of the commentary I made about Dylan Carlson. You know, don't know that it's going to be somebody to be interested in. If I were the Cardinals, though, I totally would be. But the other conversation around Carlson, as I've I've kind of beat this into the ground for 25 minutes so far in the podcast. So I want to make sure I get to this next part uh, before we get out of here. And I had some questions too. I I solicited questions earlier on Thursday from people. I promise I'm going to get to those. It might be Friday's episode that I do that just because I've gotten kind of so deep into the conversation about Carlson today. Um, And so I will get to those. I haven't forgotten. I just don't, I, I want to give them the time that they're due and not do a 50 minute podcast episode on Thursday. But this other question I asked about Carlson was this one. What player comp would fully satisfy you for his eventual career? I'm not talking about a former Cardinal, but just like Major League Baseball players in general, past or present. Who could he end up becoming similar to to where you'd go, yep, lock me in for that, no more, no less. Like, I'm satisfied with him becoming X, you know, blank. Fill in the blank of what player. And and to me, the implication there would be, like, what's the least valuable player he could become that you could say, I'll press the big red button and say, lock me in for that from Dylan Carlson. And I'd take it. I'd still take it. Like everybody, you know, Mike Trout. Well, yeah, no duh. But like, what's the least, the lesser player that you would take? My first thought, Justin Upton. And I I thought that might be kind of an interesting name to bring up because Upton, kind of a guy who was a huge, like highly touted prospect, when he was coming out and then maybe in the opinions of some people maybe hasn't lived up to those expectations a lot of times when a guy has those kind of expectations on his shoulders coming out it's really hard to live up to them no matter who you are you know and so often I look at his career 
Now, he's probably peaked earlier than you'd hoped and then maybe kind of had his decline already, whereas last year in 2019, only his age 31 season, uh, turns turned 32 in August, will turn 33 this upcoming August, probably you know has become less of an effective player before you'd hope. You'd hope somebody would have the longevity to play into 33, 34, 35 and still be able to contribute. Maybe it was just a down year for Upton, who had some injuries, played less than half the games last year. And so maybe he'll bounce back in 2020. But I look at his career numbers. 822 OPS, 266 average, 347 OBP with a 476 slug. You look at his prime seasons, kind of going down the line, was an all-star age 21. So similar with the concept of starting his career relatively early. Uh, something that we could see from Dylan Carlson at age 21 this season. Upton came into the league actually at age 19. Um, and at age 20 had a pretty good season and then was an all-star at age 21. I'm just going to go down the list. 26 homers, 17, 31, 17, 27, 29, 26, 31, 35 at age 29. And then had 30 in his age 30 season before last year hitting only 12 and 256 plate appearances. But a guy with like good power, not overwhelming to where he's bopping 30, 35 every year. He's not an Acuna hitting 40 home runs at age 20 or whatever he did last year. But he's still a very solid, competent player. OPS plus for his career of 120. That was the first name that popped out to me. You know, probably a guy, corner outfielder, hits for some power. Upton might have had more stolen base totals than I expect Carlson would have, even in his prime, Upton had a year of 20, 18, 21, 18, 8, 8, 19, 9, 14. So had some decent stolen base totals, like when he was in those age 21 through 25 seasons. Not sure what kind of stolen base guy Carlson will be. It doesn't really matter. But I think a decent batting average, good OBP guy, and a guy who's going to get his fair share of extra base hits. I thought that would be a really fine comparison where I'd say, if you told me that Carlson would be Justin Upton, and, you know, no more, no less, and I locked it in now, I'd probably take that. Uh, got a, a bunch of really good replies that I enjoyed uh, kind of getting to read through with regards to where Cardinals fans were on the topic. And before we get out of here for today's show, I'm just going to try to fire off some of the answers that I liked that I got. Uh, it looks like I have like 160 replies to this tweet. You can find me at bshafer12. Give me a follow if you haven't done so already. Would appreciate the heck out of that. Uh, but I'm just going to run down the list of some that kind of jump out to me. Charlie Blackman, I said, was interesting. Not one of my top, top answers, but a good one. Uh, you know, Carlson's a guy that they're trying to figure out if he can play center field, if he can hand- handle himself there. And Blackman's been a guy that in the past has been solid defensively in center. Probably not so much anymore. Could move to the corners as he gets a little bit older into his 30s. Uh, you have the course field effect with him, so it's hard to kind of compare those numbers and say exactly what you would you would expect from a guy if they're not playing their home games at Coors, but Blackman's a player I've certainly liked. I would, I'd probably take his career. Uh, certainly if I could have the same numbers without worrying about the, the Coors situation, Michael Conforto, another guy kind of injury, you know, but I, I like his game. I think talent level is probably comparable. Uh, Grady Sizemore, another guy from a little bit way back when early two thousands and mid two thousands, uh, had injuries, and so his career was cut short that way. I would hope that Carlson, as you would with anybody, you talk about at age 21, 
you're hoping that they end up being able to be durable and play for 15 years. That would be the ideal. Uh, Ryan Klesko, another name that's 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 fun from from back then. You know, you hope that with regard to Grady Sizemore, like loved his game, but probably would have played longer if he could have just stayed healthy. Like to see a little bit more health from Dylan Carlson. That's another situation that that kind of cropped up with Michael Brantley was probably my second favorite name that I would say I'd lock it in. Maybe guy that doesn't get enough credit, but again, injuries had killed his career uh, throughout some of his prime years. And then he, he signs with Houston last year and has a really, really good season. And so it, he's always been a really talented player, but I, I like Michael Brantley's game. Starling Marte is a name I got a few times. I like that name. That might be a little ambitious, but again, a guy who's kind of, you know, been with the Pirates, now he's with the D-backs. We'll see how he is. Um, I don't know that injuries have too much impacted his career, but just always seems like not, you know, an, the name kind of rises above the performance in some cases, but I think he's a great player, and I, I would I would probably take that from Carlson as well. Nick Markakis is what Kyle said. Um, I like Nick Markakis. That's a, that's a good pick. And again, another guy who some people say, oh, boo, like, that's no good. I wanted to be Mike Trout. Like, again, we're talking about what would you take? If you could lock it in, what would you take? What would you commit to to say, it's okay if he's not any better than this guy. I, I'd still take it for Carlson's career. Markakis, he's a guy that could, you know, over 2,000 hits. And you look at, you know, the kind of conversation about who's a Hall of Famer, who isn't. And I know that Nick Markakis is not a name that would, would really jump out to anybody when they're thinking about a Hall of Fame conversation. But if he's able to keep going for a few more years, it could kind of be an interesting conversation because that 3,000 hit benchmark has kind of been like a, you get that, you you know, why wouldn't you be a Hall of Famer? But it's just been longevity for Marcakis playing since age 22. Now coming into his age 36 season, he's sitting right now at 23.55 as far as hits. And I don't know that he's going to get to 3,000, but you consider two years ago, he was 185, nearly a career high in hits. Last year, took a step back, but didn't have as many plate appearances. So it wasn't really through any fault of his own. Might have been injured for part of that, uh, but with the Braves had 469 plate appearances, 118 hits. But if you can project even about 140 for him for age 36, 37, 38, 39, you know, I'm saying 140 as an average, maybe 150 one year, 120 another year. 140, probably a little ambitious to say for somebody through their age 39 season. But it's not like that's a crazy number. There's only been, looks like, two times in his career he's had fewer than 140 hits. And so it's not insane to say that he would be able to average that over the course of the next four years. So let's just say he could. That's another 560 hits, which would get you to, you know, about 29-10. That's that's knocking on the door of 3,000. He's not a home run guy, not probably going to get much more than 225 dingers in his career. But an interesting concept. But if you could tell me that, Dylan Carlson would be a guy that you could lock in for 25, 2600 hits in an OPS of, you know, 782 is where he is right now, Marcakis. Get, you know, 782, 785 for his career. It wouldn't be overwhelming, but I don't I wouldn't say no to it. Like that's longevity, that's a solid player for 15 years. I think you take that. Now somebody says Ken Griffey Jr. I think that's a little bit ambitious. 
Some other names I thought were ambitious. Lance Berkman, a little ambitious. Saw a Larry Walker where I'm like, look, it's a whole, that's a literal Hall of Famer. Bernie Williams I thought was a good answer. Bobby Abreu I think is a solid answer. The people that have said like Barry Bonds, you know, I think, okay. Matt Holliday I think is even too ambitious. Carlos Beltran, too ambitious. Uh, but, you know, I, I thought there were a lot of good answers. Uh, Brian Jordan, that's an interesting name. But kind of a fun a fun deal. J.D. Drew was somebody I said, yeah, baby, lock me in. I was a big J.D. Drew guy. So, I don't know, just kind of a fun question of if you could lock him in for ceiling, floor, you know, land, land it right on the dot, what would be kind of the, the lesser player that you'd lock him in for to say, yep, I'd take it. I'd take it no matter what. So, kind of an interesting question. I've kind of rambled on here a little bit today in the podcast. Uh, appreciate you guys for listening, tuning in for this episode of B-Shape Daily. Uh, we'll come back with you tomorrow with another episode on Friday. I will be heading to Port St. Lucie for that game, so I'll have a discussion on anything relevant that took place on Friday, and I will also get to your, your Twitter questions and the DMs that I received uh, in tomorrow's episode on Friday, February, what is that, 28th? And I think it's a leap year, so I don't think we'll get to, to March until the day after, but that's fine. Uh, I hope I'm right about that leap year thing, otherwise I just kind of made that up. But we'll get to all of that coming up in in, in, a, in a tomorrow's episode. So if you have any questions that I haven't you haven't asked yet and you thought about asking, hit me up. It's at bshafer12 on Twitter, facebook.com slash bshafer12. Follow the podcast and you'd be my hero. Send me a DM when you do it and I'll tell you how much I love you. It's uh, Spotify, it's Apple Podcasts, it's Google Podcasts. You know, wherever you go for your podcast, go ahead and type in b hyphen Shafe, S-C-H-A-E-F-F, Daily. It's B-Shafe Daily. That's the name of the show. And it should be able to be found at any of those places. And then when you do that, you'll be subscribed. You'll get alerted to future episodes. And I'll be happy because you will have listened. And I'll appreciate that. It won't be like I'm talking to myself. So that would be awesome. Until tomorrow, though, guys, I'm going to check out right here. I hope you appreciated today's episode. I know it was Dylan Carlson-centric. But, I mean, think about it. Is there anybody that you'd rather be talking about right now? Heck no. He's, he's the future of the Cardinals in a lot of ways. He's trying to make himself the present of the Cardinals right here in the spring of 2020. Appreciate you guys listening. We'll be back tomorrow.